I don't know if you have ever uh, enjoyed doing puzzles, like uh, not like jigsaw puzzles, but like the try and solve it kind of puzzle. Uh, I, I enjoy puzzles of all kinds, and because of that, I really enjoy um, escape rooms. You know, those rooms where they lock you in and then there's all of these clues and puzzles within there and you're supposed to figure it out. But from time to time, I get in there and I'm staring at something and I just know I'm not getting it, right? You're looking at this puzzle, you know that there is a clue here and you just can't figure out what to do with that clue. And so um, if you're like me, you hate to do it, but you call out to the moderator, right? There's somebody that's watching and paying attention from outside the room to make sure that everything's going well. And from outside the room, they know all of the answers to all of the puzzles, right? And you say, I'm stuck. Can you give me a hint? Can you give me a hint? And they explain to you from outside the room, this is what you're looking at. Have you tried flipping it over? Or have you tried reading it backwards? Or have you tried counting every third word? Or something ridiculous like that, right? But they tell you from outside the room, have you tried looking at it this way so that you can understand what the puzzle signifies and what to do with it? And then you go, oh, now I get it. I don't know why I didn't see that before. Clearly, that's how you're supposed to read this. That is what's going on this morning. As we open up God's Word, we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 22, and Jesus is interacting with the Pharisees, and He's going to help them look at something in a new way because they're missing it. They've seen it almost, right? They think they get it, but they don't understand the full significance of it. So this is where we're at, Matthew chapter 22, starting in verse 41, and I'm going to read it, and then we'll go back through it. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question, saying, What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? They said to him, The son of David. He said to them, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. If then David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. Now, Jesus is talking with the Pharisees there. They're still in the temple. If you remember from many weeks ago, uh, Jesus had entered the temple and he was doing some teaching there. This is uh, Passover week. And during Passover week, Jesus had had come into Jerusalem. Now he's teaching in the temple. And then he was confronted by some Sadducees and by some Pharisees and by some other people. They had come and they were confronting him and they were asking him these questions, right? In part to get some answers from him, but in large part, they were trying to trap him, to trick him, to stump him, to demonstrate that he really wasn't that great of a teacher, And at every turn, they would ask him the question, and they would be amazed at the answers that he gave. They'd be amazed at the answers that they gave. They brought their best, most tricky questions, the ones that they stumped people with, the ones that they tied people up in knots with, and they would ask Jesus these questions, and Jesus would go, well, this is the answer, guys. How how did he do that? Did you see how he answered my question? You ask him a question. Okay, I've got my hardest, toughest, most difficult question. Here it is. And Jesus would go, well, obviously the answer is this. 
that makes sense. And so after Jesus answers a couple of their questions, then now it's as if he's saying, okay, guys, we've talked about politics and taxes. We've talked about marriage and the resurrection. We've talked about religion and morality. We've talked about all of the things that you wanted to talk about. Now let's talk about what I want to talk about. I have a question for you. Here's my question for you. While the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? What do you think about the Christ? We've been talking about all these other things. We've been talking about important things like marriage and resurrection and politics and taxes and how do we relate to government. We've talked about religion and morality. We've talked about those things. Those are very important things. But the thing that I want to know is what do you think about the Christ? Who's that? What do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Everybody knows that. Everybody knows that, right? Now, when we talk about Christ and we talk about Jesus Christ, sometimes we think of Christ as being like Jesus' last name, right? My name is Travis Tadema. He's, his name is Jesus Christ. But in reality, the, that's just, we've smushed it together because he's, we've called, call, referred to, let me try again. We've referred to him as Jesus the Christ, right? Because Christ, the, this is this Greek word that means anointed one, chosen one, someone who has been uh, anointed for a particular office or a position or responsibility. And that's what this word Christ means in uh, Greek. You may have heard the word Messiah. This is the same word. It means anointed one, but it's from the Hebrew, okay? So if you hear Messiah or you hear Christ, those just mean anointed, anointed. Now you've poured something over them and, and they have been, uh, as a way of signifying that they have been chosen for a particular uh, role, Okay, so that's what, what this means. So when, when Jesus comes and he says, uh, what do you think about the Christ? He is not just talking about any anointed person, right? They would anoint priests and they would anoint prophets and they would anoint kings. And it would signify that this was somebody that God had chosen for that particular role. And there were several of those who had been anointed throughout the history of Israel. But when Jesus says, what do you think about the Christ? There was this anticipation for those who were familiar with the Old Testament, and the Pharisees certainly were familiar with the Old Testament, right? Those were their scriptures. They were very familiar with the Old Testament scriptures. And so when he says, what do you think about the Christ? Who do you think he is? Who do you think he is? They're very familiar with this, right? They know. They know who the Messiah is, David's son. David's son. One of David's descendants is going to be the Messiah, the Christ. We've been waiting for this. We, we remember in, in Samuel when, when uh, God promised to David that one of his offspring would reign, right? We remember in 2 Chronicles after Solomon, the son of David, built the temple and he Praise this beautiful prayer. I wish I had time to go through the whole prayer 
of, of uh, Solomon for the dedication of the prayer because it's really beautiful in the way that he, um, of a section, Psalm 132, starting in verse 10. For the sake of your servant David, do not turn away the face of your anointed one. The Lord swore to David a sure oath from which he will not turn back. One of the sons of your body I will set on your throne. If your sons keep my covenant and my testimonies that I shall teach to them, their sons also forever shall sit on your throne. For the Lord has chosen Zion. He has desired it for his dwelling place. This is my resting place forever. Here I dwell, for I have desired it. I will abundantly bless her provisions. I will satisfy her poor with bread. Her priests I will clothe with salvation, and her saints will shout for joy. There I will make a horn to sprout for David. I have prepared a lamp for my anointed. It was so much a part of the expectation of the fulfillments of the promises of God that in the Psalms, there's these rehearses, these songs about the coming of the anointed one who would be this offspring of David who would rule and reign over God's people with God's blessing. It's just this rehearsing, this, this um, expectation that they were going, this is what's going to come. This is what's going to come. In fact, in Daniel chapter 9, I'm not going to go through it. You can go through it on your own time. But Daniel prophesies that the coming of the anointed one, the anointed one, is yet to come. And he gives some boundaries on this is when it's going to happen. And these are some of the things that are going to happen before it happens. But this expectation is just sort of building throughout the Old Testament and holding on that this descendant of David is going to come and going to rule over God's people and to bring God's blessing to his people. And so then when Jesus comes to them, and they've asked him their most difficult, toughest, hardest questions, Jesus comes back with really a softball of a question. Here you go. Hit this one. The anointed one, the Christ, whose son is he? Really? That's your question? They're just like drooling as they wind up to knock that thing out of the park. Son of David, oh, see ya! Son of David. We know who it is. And he said to them, verse 43, How is it then that David, in the Spirit, calls him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies under your feet. Let me ask, who do you think the Messiah is? And they're saying, okay, it's the son of David. The scriptures clearly say it's the son of David. And Jesus says, okay, that's true, but how is it then that in Psalm 110, which is designated a Psalm of David, so there's no confusion who wrote that Psalm, he says that the Lord, Yahweh, God of heaven and earth, says to my Lord, the anointed one, sit at my right hand. If that anointed one is going to be the descendant of David, then how is it that David is calling him his Lord? 
I mean, we, we have um, some respect and honor for those who came before us, right? We recognize for good and for ill that what we are depends at least in part on our ancestors. What the people who were before us did and how they set us up. And we can look back on the things that they did well and say, I really appreciate that. And they have some honor for having gone before us and set us up for where we are now. And maybe there are some other things that we look back and go, you really made a mess of that. But how is it that somebody could look ahead generations and say, ah, I really honor my great-great-great-grandson who is going to be so great that I'm going to refer to him as my Lord. I am going to honor him. I mean, maybe. Maybe one of my great-great-great-grandsons could be amazing. I don't know. But how is it that David, David, do you remember who David is? The great king, the great king. In all of Israel's history, he was the great king. He was a man with the heart after God's own heart. He was the one that God blessed and showed his favor. He was the one that conquered all of the land. And brought peace and prosperity to the people. And ruled with justice. That David. He's going to look at his great, 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 great grandson. That he's never going to know. And he's going to put him in a position of honor. And say, that is my Lord. That is my Lord. Just goes, How could that be possible? How could that be possible? Was David mistaken? Maybe he got it wrong, right? Maybe, maybe, maybe David got a, a little over his skis and he, he said something that he probably shouldn't have put it quite that way. Except that what Jesus says is, how is it then that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? How is it that David in the Spirit calls him Lord? You see, Jesus' expectation for the writings in the Old Testament are not that this was just something made up by people, right? Well, well, Jesus, you know, David was just a poet, and this was one of his poems. It was just one of his songs. It was one of his many writings. And when you write things as much and as often as David wrote things, you're bound to make some mistakes. You're bound to get some things wrong. Jesus is going, no, 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 that's not what this is, is it? Jesus treats the writings of David like he treats all the writings of the Old Testament when he says, it has been written. These are the writings of Scripture. These are not merely the writings of men, though men wrote down the words. But it was through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that the words came through the person in their own uh, personality and in their own way of writing, but there was no word out of place. Because the Spirit of the Lord was on David for the writing of those scriptures so that we are now reading them as the very words of God to us. 
And Jesus is saying that is how we are to understand these words of the Old Testament. Isn't that right? And the Pharisees are going, well, that's right. That's how we read that. These are the words of God, not merely the words of men, but also the words of God written down for us, for our profitability, so that we might gain by them. So Jesus is going, so David couldn't have made a mistake, right, guys? And the guys are going, no, they could, he couldn't have made a mistake. It was written down by the power of the Holy Spirit. How could he have made a mistake in writing Scripture? There, there could not be an error in there, not even one word miswritten by the word Lord. That can't be. Okay, then what's the answer? What's the solution? How is it that David, the great king, the one blessed by God, can refer to one of his descendants as Lord if he is, in fact, his son? How can he both be the son of David and be greater than David? For this is what it had said in Psalm 110. A psalm of David the Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. And then it goes on about how great and awesome this one will be, how much the Lord will be with him. And you recognize that what David is anticipating in one of his descendants is this anointed one that will be so great. This Christ, this anointed one that is going to be so great that you will either bow in front of them in reverence or as his enemy will be put as a footstool under his feet. So you will either bow to him in respect or be subjugated to him. Those are the two options. That's what David is writing in the Psalms. This coming anointed one is going to be so amazing, so incredible, so blessed by God. And you get to see this expectation in David of what is to come. This hope, this faith, of David. This faith in this Old Testament believer in God, he was the follower of God who went, my hope though is in the fulfillment of God's promises to me. And if God tells me that I will have a descendant who will reign on the throne forever, I believe that as if it has already happened. How? How could he be Greater than David and one of David's descendants, it's because it was promised by God. And so David believed it as if it had already happened. That was his hope and expectation of what was to come. But Jesus' question to them is, if David calls him Lord, then how is he his son? Verse 45. How is he his son? How is it... How is it that David can endorse the Messiah, the Christ, the Anointed One? How is it that David could endorse him in such a way as this? How could that be? And then we see in verse 46, And no one was able to answer him a word. I, I don't know, Jesus. I don't know. 
The fact that the Messiah, the Christ, is going to come and is going to be great is clear from Scripture. The, the fact that he will be a son of David is clear from Scripture. How he could be both David's son and greater than David, I don't know. I don't know. And no one was able to answer him a word, nor from that day did anyone dare to ask him any more questions. They had asked him their questions, their toughest questions, and he just answered them. Didn't get tripped by them, not tricked by them, didn't stumble at all. Just answered them in a matter-of-fact way that left them dumbfounded. And then he asks this question that at first seems so basic and yet leaves them in a place where they're wondering, how could it be, right? Like they're in that escape room and suddenly they're looking at this Messiah Christ anointed one puzzle and going, hold up. Uh, this had made a lot of sense up until just a minute ago. I, I really thought I got it until just a minute ago and now I'm realizing I don't get it. Now, looking at a puzzle and I don't get it, I get frustrated. And so I spend too long trying to solve that puzzle. I spend way too long. I was, this happened to me, for, this is for real. I was sitting in an orthodontist chair. As a kid, I did that a lot. But one day I was sitting in an orthodontist chair and a kid was sitting in the chair next to me. And he said, do you want to know a puzzle? And I said, yes, I do want to know a puzzle. Because even back then, I really liked puzzles. And so he told me this puzzle. It was something about uh, coin machines and uh, how would you know if one was making the wrong coin, right? Something like that. And you can only weigh all of the things. You, can only, you have a scale, but you can only use it once. Okay. I couldn't figure out the puzzle. The kid says, next time we come back, I'll tell you the answer. I said, Okay. I never saw that kid again in my life. It took me 20 years to figure out the answer to the puzzle. I'm not even going to tell you what the puzzle is. But there, here they are, right? They're, they're looking at it. No one is able to answer him a word. Now, it took me 20 years to come up with the answer on my own. I was explaining the puzzle. I said, oh, you know what? I remember this puzzle from way back when. And I explained it to somebody and then was like, oh, I know the answer. With 20 years of experience, I had figured it out, right? But had I come back a month later and that kid had been sitting in the chair next to me, do you know what I would have said? I can't figure it out. What's the answer to the puzzle? Because it would have been driving me crazy that there was this question that was unresolved in my head. And do you know what the Pharisees did? Just like I would do, right? No. He asks them this question. How is it that the offspring of David could be greater than David? How is it that the anointed one could be the son of David, but David calls him his Lord? And they went, we don't know. And they walked away, not willing to ask him any more questions. I would have had a lot of questions for Jesus. 
I would have had a lot of questions for Jesus. I would have been like, I don't know. Jesus, how does the puzzle work? How does it work? How could that be? They didn't ask that question or any of the follow-up questions, right? They didn't ask him any more questions from that day. In fact, if you read through the book of Matthew, here we are in chapter, what chapter are we in? Chapter 22. They don't ask him any questions in chapter 23 or in chapter 24 or in chapter 25. It's all Jesus teaching. The next question that Jesus gets asked is in Matthew chapter 26, verse 63. where it says that Jesus remained silent and the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. They almost got it, huh? How is it? How is it that this descendant of David could be greater than David? How is it that this descendant of David could be David's Lord? Or maybe if it wasn't just the son of David, but was also the son of God. And so he says, I adjure you by the living God. The high priest now is questioning Jesus. I adjure you by the living God. Tell us if you are the Christ, the son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you, from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. What did Psalm 110 say that he was going to be exalted to the right hand of God, right? Until all the enemies were put under his feet. And Jesus is saying, you've said that I'm the Christ. And in fact, that's exactly who I am. And you are going to see me raised up to the right hand of God. And you can bet that the Pharisees lost it. Lost it. Why? Because they did not want to believe that this was true. No, Jesus, you can't be the Messiah. You don't look like the kind of Messiah we wanted. You're not bringing it at all the way that we wanted. But fortunately, when Jesus was doing these teachings... And asking these questions and responding to these questions, it was not just the Pharisees who were present. His disciples were present. Other people were present. And they were listening in. And boy, did they have questions for Jesus. Boy, did they want to know. Jesus, tell us everything. What's going to happen next? You're the Christ, right? Can you explain the whole thing to us so that we understand it all, so that we get it all? Jesus, we want to understand and know. So then Matthew, who was there, one of the disciples listening in, goes and writes down the whole story. That's why we're reading it, right? Because Matthew went back and wrote it all down. And he starts off his book 
in Matthew chapter 1, verse 1, as the book of the genealogy of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew wants you to know from page 1, sentence 1, who Jesus is. There's no confusion for you, right? When Jesus asks this question in Matthew chapter 22, you're not going, hmm, I wonder how that could be. How could it be? You've already figured it out. Well, somebody explained it to you, which isn't quite the same thing, but we'll take it. We don't have to be so clever and smart to figure it out on our own every time. It's okay if the writers of Scripture, through the power of the Holy Spirit, write down all the answers and then the Holy Spirit explains it to you so that you get it. That's totally fine. That's totally fine. And that's what happens here, is that Matthew wants you to know that while the Pharisees are very confused, he doesn't want you to be confused. He doesn't want you to have this question in your mind, and he doesn't want you to walk away asking no more questions. He wants you to press in and say, wait, what is the implication of this? What then does this mean? If Jesus, the son, descendant of David, is the Christ, the Son of God, what then does that mean for me? What should I do about that? And just a couple of weeks later, Peter, another of those disciples who was there present with Jesus, also listening in, also watching, a couple of weeks later, he preaches a sermon. And in Acts chapter 2, he says this in verse 22, Men of Israel, hear these words. Jesus of Nazareth, a man attested to you by God with mighty works and wonders and signs that God did through him in your midst, as you yourselves know. This Jesus, delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men, and God raised him up, loosing the pangs of death because it was not possible for him to be held by it. He says, look, I want you to know that Jesus is the Christ. And it was demonstrated that he was the Christ through all of the wonderful signs and miracles and healings that he did through his wonderful teaching and his responding to the difficult questions. It was evidence that the power of God was on him, that he was anointed by the Holy Spirit in a marvelous and spectacular way. And then it was attested to by his resurrection from the dead. In fact, he goes on, verse 32, This Jesus God raised up, and of that we are all witnesses. Being therefore exalted at the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the, the promise of the Holy Spirit, He has poured out this that you yourselves are seeing and hearing. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Peter put it all together. I don't know if he had it all figured it out and all put together when he was standing in the temple and the Pharisees were asking Jesus questions. 
I think that he believed that Jesus was the Christ. I think that he probably uh, understood that he was the descendant of David. I don't know if he fully had the whole thing put together, but by a couple of weeks later, he has it all figured out. And he's preaching and he wants everybody to know with no confusion that Jesus is the Christ, the anticipated one, the anointed one, God's chosen one to come and save his people. And he is unique in being God and man, the son of God and the son of David. And the response of these people, when they heard it, when Peter preached that message, the response of those people was, what then must we do to be saved? They said, now, when they heard it, they were cut to the heart and said, brothers, what shall we do? And he said, you should repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins and receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Because the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And so when we read this passage, right? We read it and we say, okay, what are we to do with this? Well, I hope that we aren't confused. I hope we don't stop our mouths and walk away going, wow, that's amazing teaching. But I hope that we press in and say, God, what does this mean? What then does this mean? That we would repent of our sin and say, God, if you have sent your son to save the world like this, start with me. Start with me. That we would repent of our sin and say, oh, great and glorious God. I want to follow you. This kind of a thing, like, like the puzzles that get me hooked that I want to dig into and say, I want to learn all of them. I just want to figure them all out. This kind of a passage should draw us in in that same way where we say, I don't understand all of the mysteries of God, but I want to know more. I want to know more that we might search the scriptures to see and to understand, to have them unlocked for us by the Holy Spirit. And each time that we come across something that we don't understand, say, God, would you help me to understand so that I can see the significance of all that you have done, so that I might see how great and glorious you are, and so that I might be cleansed of my sin and give you all of the praise that is due your name. And we have an opportunity right now to give him all of the praise that is due his name. So let's go to him in prayer. Father, we know that from the beginning you were there. Before the world was founded, you were there. And you have created all things. You have sustained all things. You created us in your image to enjoy the rest of your creation and to enjoy your presence in it. And Lord, our hearts long to have you near to us. 
And so we thank you. We thank you that you did not just create us and leave us, but that you sent Jesus, your son, to redeem us, to be our Christ, so that we might submit to him and give you all the praise. Father, we pray for those areas in our life that we are uh, withholding from you. We pray for the, the times that we have rebelled against you or been unwilling to submit to you. Father, we pray that you would forgive us for those and that you would inspire us anew to sing your praises today and every day because you truly are a great and glorious God. And we ask for these things in Jesus' name. Amen.